Hello and welcome back to Tivating Patiently. This is the appreciation podcast that highlights, dives deeper, and celebrates the work and accomplishments of our Tony-winning national treasure, Aaron Tivate. I'm your host, Elizabeth, and today's episode will be a bit of a walk down memory lane. Aaron's new interview with Paul Wontorek for the Broadway show finally dropped this past week. So I thought it might be fun to look back at some of their interviews through the years and the journey that they've gone on together throughout Aaron's career. But first, let's just check in. Last week was a big week of content interviews related to Aaron, but it was also a week of farewell announcements from other members of the Moulin Rouge cast. First, Ashley Loren announced that she would be stepping down as Satine on April 9th alongside of Aaron. However, her announcement didn't completely shock me. When she created that reel for Derek Klena right before he stepped away from the show and Aaron was about to come in, the reel felt very much like a goodbye and not just a see you later. And when she's been answering questions in her IG stories, she kept saying things like, quote, until the end of my run. It just felt like her time was coming to an end. However, this past Saturday night, when I opened Instagram and saw that both Caleb Marshall and Jessica Golden would also be leaving on April 9th, those announcements hit hard. Jessica has been the only Nini that I have known when I've seen the show. I never had the opportunity to see Robin Herter in that role, so I've become extremely attached to Jess's Nini and her and Caleb's chemistry together. They're a dream. It's definitely been emotional thinking about them leaving, and April 9th, it was already going to be an emotional night, but now it's just leveled up even more. But anyway, moving on to happier things like Aaron and Paul interviews. These interviews, they're always good. It's amazing to see the relationship that has developed between the two of them. Their first interview together was on March 25th, 2011 and the focus of this interview was Catch Me If You Can. But they also touched on Next to Normal and some other projects, and right from the start of the interview, something that stood out to me was how apparent it was that it was their first interview together. Nowadays, they're so relaxed and conversation-like when they interview and talk to each other. But in 2011, Aaron, he was very reserved and soft-spoken, And Paul really seemed to stick to the questions that he had prepared to ask without straying too much into other side stories like they do now. And back in 2011, Aaron was 27 years old, and he talked about the preparation and pressure of performing in a show like Catch Me If You Can on Broadway. The show itself was very physically demanding. And for him being the leading man, being on stage most of the night and with all the dancing, He told Paul that he took part in a lot of voice classes, he really focused on his health, he started working out with a personal trainer, and Paul was like, as part of your shirtless scenes, and Aaron shut that down and said it was prep for all the dancing to make himself as injury-proof as possible. He talked about the differences between the Broadway production and the movie Catch Me If You Can, and discussed the critical role that the audience plays in the Broadway version. Throughout the show, Frank tells the audience the story. He really brings them into his mind and his thoughts, and the movie, it didn't do that as much. So Aaron shared that he was thrilled to be opening the show on Broadway and have an actual audience of faces in front of him to talk to instead of just an empty theater like he had during the tech rehearsals. 
But personally, my favorite part of this interview is when Paul asks Aaron where his drive and work ethic come from. And Aaron is quick to credit his parents and his upbringing. True that you're a pretty driven guy. I mean, I don't know if I'm, if I'm just seeing it because I look at your career and you seem very focused on what you're doing. Yeah, and yeah I think that's a very, uh, very safe thing to say. Disciplined. I, um, where does that come from? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it... It's, it comes from, you know, being in elementary school and bringing home my straight A's to my parents and then knowing that my friends got $15 for their straight A's. And I said, Mom and Dad, why don't I get money? And they say, no, you get straight A's or you get grounded. You don't get money when you get straight A's. What do your parents do for a living when you were growing up? Uh, my dad uh, had a construction company with his two brothers. And so really the only job I worked at a I worked in a securities firm one summer when, when I was in a business program in high school but but my only other job besides acting was you know every summer and every winter break or anything I just swung the hammer for my dad so you know he's kind of a very blue-collar guy and my mom's a, a special education teacher she's a school teacher what are, so what do they think of all this they love it they've been such huge supporters of me and um, they're incredible they just they're so proud and they're a big reason, I think, that I'm here today. Did you get money in school growing up for getting good grades? I never did. I know many of my friends in school did, so I couldn't really relate to them, but I could relate to what Aaron was saying about his upbringing and having those expectations set by my parents to meet when it came to school and other things like that. But after this segment, Paul circled back to Catch Me If You Can and said how amazing it was that the musical was really about three men and the father-son relationship between them. And Aaron shared that he felt so privileged to be in the presence of Tom and Norbert, and they were such, quote, men of the theater. How Aaron felt about them back in 2011 has got to be how younger actors working with Aaron feel about him now. He is a true man of the theater and a true presence on stage and off. Next to Normal was also brought up, and Aaron was asked if he was surprised by the success of the show. Is, is it safe to say that you didn't know Next to Normal would be the hit it became? Because I loved, I loved the show, but I was surprised. Well, it... even back at second stage, even back at the reading before second stage, uh, we, all knew it was, we all knew something was there. We all yeah. knew something was in there. I remember we read through the second act one of our first days before we left to go to DC and we all just like wept at the end of it because everything that we thought it could be at second stage that we'd hoped it to be all of a sudden it was you know and all those things that we had and we were just we just knew that the show was something really really special and then once audiences saw it in DC we were convinced that it wasn't just us we weren't crazy that other people thought it too so it was it was a very it was a very exciting thing to be a part of while on the subject of next to normal they discussed the shock and Aaron's feelings about not receiving even a Tony nomination for his role as Gabe in the show it was very surprising that year that you didn't get a Tony nomination thank you <laughs> it was very surprising yeah there was a lot of buzz around that show and a lot of people said a lot of things to me leading up to nominations and I mean it was hard not to get swept up in it you know and so I was the morning that I was devastated you know to be completely honest it was a it was a 
real punch in the gut. And once I let it go through me, like I, I just was so excited the fact that that show got all the nominations it did and there were six right. of us in the show and the show ultimately won best score and six people singing a full length musical. I felt a huge part of that and um, I was so excited for, for everyone else, you know, and, but, if, but it was, it was a, it was a very hard The disappointment in Aaron's tone and all over his facial expressions in that segment was so apparent. And in 2022, he was on the drama podcast and he shared more about that feeling and how it's affected his perspective today on the subject, even now as he is a Tony winner. It was exactly how it was supposed to happen for me because I, it changed my whole perception of, of all of that. And then of course, you know, I'm cut to <laughs> last yeah. year when it finally came all the way back yes. around. It just made it even that much more amazing to me because I think the thing too uh, is uh, it's just a moment of really feeling seen by your community and by your peers, you know? And I think the thing that I struggled with, with the first two now at, at my age, looking back was feeling really unseen. Mm. Right. And, and catch me if you can also, right. It's like, I'm, I'm killing myself on stage for three hours every night. I'm here every day. I'm why don't you see me? Yeah. Right. Like that was the thing I think that was the hard, that was the thing that was really hard uh, at those times is like, again, I didn't know that yeah. what it was, but now looking back and, and now having feeling what it felt yeah. <laughs> feels like to be on the other side, which is just a complete feeling of being seen. Cause I just think I felt unseen at those times. Um, but in hindsight, I think it was maybe the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing. It's like the title of that merrily we roll along documentary, the best worst thing that could have happened. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. Yeah. And, you know, that's like a really uh, it's hard for me to talk about because it doesn't matter, yeah. you know, and yeah. also like it doesn't uh, I don't want people to think that I'm like, oh, yeah, he's got all these look and listen to the problems he has. I, I'm I'm fully aware that it's not. And I'm what I'm saying is, is that in, in, instead, I'm so grateful that it happened that way because it totally led me to who I am as a an artist today. Yeah. I know that last clip wasn't directly Aaron and Paul interview related, but I wanted to include it because that interview, that podcast interview was recent and it's just so clear how not receiving that nomination in Next to Normal has really influenced Aaron's perspective as he's gone through his Broadway career. He's so well-spoken in how he says that it's hard to talk about because thinking back on it now, like it doesn't matter, but it really came down to him wanting to just feel seen, to just know that his work was being recognized, was being seen by his peers in this world that he has grown up and given so much of his life and heart to. And I mean, now he he's our Tony winner, and it is safe to say that Aaron, he's definitely seen and recognized by his peers. But jumping ahead two years, Paul and Aaron reunited on January 11th, 2013, and this time, the focus was on Les Miserables and his first major movie role. Aaron talked about sneaking out on Christmas night when the movie premiered to see it in the movie theater in his hometown where he had grown up and seen hundreds of movies. And what a full circle moment that had to be. Some of the highlights from that interview were stories that Aaron told about how he became Enjolras. The Enjolras wig is its own character and it's become iconic. I was shocked when I first learned that Aaron was wearing a wig. It's just perfect. But that was a 45 minute process to get on every day. And then Aaron said he had to have makeup applied to his teeth to quote, dirty them up. 
he was a little upset when he realized that that makeup was actually starting to stain his teeth. This man takes pride in those pearly whites, as he should. And Paul shared with Aaron that he actually won two Broadway polls for his role in Les Mis. The character that audiences were most excited to see and favorite character in the movie. I agree 100%. I'm sure a lot of us do. And Paul wrapped up the interview by asking Aaron if he had made any big Hollywood money purchases since Les Mis premiered. And I loved Aaron's response because he said no, he hadn't made any big Hollywood money purchases, but he had just bought a new apartment. However, he was very clear to emphasize that the apartment was purchased with eight years worth of hard-earned Broadway money. Up next, London baby. Paul traveled to London for the January 31st, 2014 interview with Aaron while he was starring as John Wilkes Booth in Assassins. Okay, the interview actually aired on January 31st. It came out pre-Christmas, as it says that in the interview, or it took place pre-Christmas. But he was John Wilkes Booth, and the biggest focus of this interview was the beard, the goatee that Aaron had for this role. Oh, that's amazing. So there's a lot of energy, at least at Broadway.com, about what's happening on your face. Yep. Yeah, we've done polls about it. That's and right. Pe- people are voting on what they think of this. Yep. And, and seeing it in person yeah, is impressive think? because it definitely, it's a little, there's definitely some Southern racism in that. I mean, there, it's definitely, I mean it, it, you went full. It's, yeah, it's I mean, I went, full out. I went full racist with this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if I'd only done a mustache, it kind of would have been more 70s cop, but I, right, that, I tried to that, go full Leo and Django with this. Yeah, thing. yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how is it? living it's fa- it's it's real you, it's, you didn't no, glue it's, it on it's real, it's real. okay yeah okay. but you know I, the funny story i had no idea i could do this i was like well we'll see what happens congratulations um, i don't think i can do that so, but maybe sorry dad my dad can't grow a full beard so oh really I your no dad idea can't what was gonna happen so wow uh, here, here we are yeah. so you have more testosterone than dad i guess yeah i guess that's what it proves <laughs> No. So, uh, so you, so, but you did it. I did it. So you just tried it, and then it take a while, or this is about, um, this is about two months. And are there different lengths? Yeah, well, You're, there's I've a been, trimming process. Well, I've happening. been going to like you know the the proper barber, as oh, they would wow. say here in London, uh, to go get it trimmed and, and cleaned up. And I've learned a lot about beard oil and beard moisturizer and things I had no idea that I would ever be dealing yeah, with. Yeah, there are actually things you can put on it that won't make it smell disgusting. That's right. Right. Yeah. So, so yours doesn't smell disgusting. It does not. No, I've I've been Good. beard moisturizing. Okay. <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm glad. It was also in this interview that Aaron gave us the quote that. of his work is his hair. It is ever-changing and evolving, and it's always a point of conversation with everyone. Aaron also shared about how this was his second time living in London for a period of time for a project. The first time was during Les Mis, and during that time, he was on a grueling filming schedule where he literally just went to rehearsals and voice coaching and dialect coaching sessions, and then he went home. So he says he felt a little lonely after a while. This time he said he knew more people and being that he was on a theater schedule, he got to have more of a social life and not just have a life in London that completely revolved around work and the show. Jumping ahead to July 7th, 2014, it's the Graceland era. Mikey Warren's here, everybody. This is the interview where Paul really makes his obsession with Aaron's hair clear. 
Aaron talks about how he made the decision after filming wrapped for season one of Graceland and never told anyone that he was going to just shave it all off. But then a little problem arose. Much fun. Yes. And your your hair suddenly got short <laughs> in season two. And yeah. I was like, oh no, what's he going to look like? Yeah, well. I uh, filmed that a while ago. Well, it was so funny that uh, we, we reshot the end of the, the final episode of the first season in uh -huh. August of last year. We had been done since March. And I, afterwards, <laughs> without asking anyone, I came home and I, <laughs> I shaved all my hair off. Oh, that was that, that point. Yeah. And so, uh, and so when we went back, you know, the network was kind of like, yeah, so your hair's not long enough. So they made a little wig and we shot, there's in the finale of the first season, there's, there's a, there's there a scene. There are scenes where you're wearing a wig? There's a scene, half a scene where I have a wig on. In the final, mm -hmm. in, in the, the last episode. episode I'm yep. going to rewatch that. I won't say what it is. How maybe, noticeable Maybe you guys it? can, well, I can notice is it. Is it from the front? Like, it's you, from all over. And they kind oh of halfway God. through the scene, it switches back to the original. Anyway, but then what we were able to do with the final scene of me being in Washington, that was a change but my hair was short and so then we could signify some passage of time and that's how you tell a story through hair <laughs> i have watched graceland so many times and i still don't think i have figured out which scene he is wearing the wig in i have a couple ideas but nothing concrete <laughs> paul later asks aaron what he thinks about the term to vader tots for his fans and where that origin came from between you and me i think paul made it up and secretly spread it around. He brought this term up again in the most recent interview that he did with Aaron too, but here's Aaron's response to the term to Vader tots back in 2014. What do you think of the term to Vader tots? <laughs> Might as well just get this out of the way. I'm a big fan of tater tots. I love tater tots. Tater tots are awesome. I mean, I mean it like, was, when it was tater tot room, day at school lunch. Tater tot, yes. oh my God, double order please. Mm. But uh, uh, So to Vader tots, it, is a name. It makes some, me think of tater tots. And how could you hate tater tots? It's, tater it's tots kind are of a, great. It's kind of a really great Every time I hear it, fan name. I, I smile. Well, I'm glad. I'm yeah. glad whoever yeah. came up with that, I'm glad you did that. Because Thank you. This interview also included some questions from the audience. And in 2014, Aaron was still not on social media. So this was one of the few ways that his fans had access to him. Here are three questions and responses. Hi, Aaron. I'm Miranda. And I'm Michael. And um, our question for you is, out of all the shows you've done on Broadway, uh, which show caused you the most stage fright? And why? Um, thank you, and hope you answer our question. We're huge fans. Love you. Wow, that's cute. Really, They're both cute. Very cute. That's a great... Stage fright. That's a great question. I think Hairspray, because it was my Broadway debut. I, yeah. remember, I remember going to see my parents and a bunch of family were eating at a restaurant before the show. And I remember my mom, she was really concerned because I must have had been white. I went in just to see them and I was kind of, I think I was kind of zoned out. And she kind of pulled me aside and she said, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. But I think that was probably the, the biggest stage fright I had, even though I had done the show for a year at that point on right. the road. But coming to New York and kind of doing it for the first time in New York, I think that was probably the scariest. Hi, Aaron. Who is your celebrity crush? Thanks. Oh, Cute. She's adorable, Cute. and she wants to know who your celebrity crush is. I have I, uh, Jennifer Lawrence is my celebrity crush. Oh, she's awesome. She's awesome. She's so good. She have seems, you met her? I've never met her. She was in the front row of the Oscars when I sang. I was trying to send, I was trying to send vibes towards is her. That, so so when we were all watching her in the Oscars, that's who you were that's what you were focusing on. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence vibe. <laughs> Hi, Aaron. It's Corinne, New Rochelle, New York, and my question to you is: What career would you have if you were not an actor? 
Thanks. Bye, Aaron. Bye, Paul. Um, well, when I was a kid, I wanted to be the third baseman for the Yankees, but that didn't that didn't pan out. Um, I don't I don't know. That's you know that's something that up until that I could never answer before. Um, but I think I've read a lot of I, I, I suffer from some from for some from some food allergies, and so the last couple of years I've been reading a lot more about nutrition and and uh, how we eat, and so I. But for the and I'm really kind of fascinated by it, and I've read a lot of books on it. So, I think for the so I, I maybe would be a nutritionist. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of a it's a new thing. That's a new thing. That's a the last couple of years. I've, what what is your nutrition? What do you eat? Um, this, are you extremely healthy? Yeah, I try. I mean, I've always been of the mindset, you know, people go crazy with what they eat. I try to eat good all the time, so that if I want something that's maybe not so good, I have it, and I don't think okay. twice about it. That's kind of my basis. What was like the last like ball out? Big disgusting meal you ate that you shouldn't have oh, eaten. I love French fries, man. Sometimes you just gotta like a big plate of just them. gotta knock out some French fries sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but, like, salt them like up. From, like what kind? There's a lot of different kinds of French fries. Like what? Are you, what do yours look like? Well, I really like sweet potato fries. Oh, yeah, that's okay. But those are a little more healthy. That's I a little guess. healthy. <laughs> but um, no, like thin. No, I like the big. I like big wedge fries. Yeah. Wedge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or curly fries. Arby's curly fries. Get out of town, Arby's man. Curly fries. Those are the shit. That's what they're gonna start sending you. That's right. If I'm being honest, I may have a slight girl crush on Jennifer Lawrence myself. She's so real in literally everything she does, and I'm absolutely obsessed with the Hunger Games books and the series, and her portrayal of Katniss in the movies was perfect in my mind. But I love when they do these Q&As. Like, everyone always has such good questions, and Aaron gives such good, honest answers. I wish, I wish there was a way to do this more. But anyway... Moving on. Two years later, Paul and Aaron reunited again on August for August 16th, 2016. But at this point, the reserved professionalism of that 2011 interview, it's gone, and the natural conversation between friends is in full swing. This interview wasn't as jam-packed, but it did cover Aaron's role in Braindead. Oh, Gareth Ritter. That poor guy, he went through it, trying to figure out what to believe about the brain bugs and having to eat salami during sex in order to help the bugs get out of the girl that he liked's brain. Wild. Wild storyline. <laughs> I get why it's not for everybody. But this was also the time when Aaron was giving us his rock concert series. And I really hope that there are more of these in the future because they're amazing. And he shared how honored he felt being asked to open for Andy Grammer at Bethel Woods and shared that that's probably his favorite venue that he performed in because it's right near where he grew up. And he also shared that he's been really itching to get back on stage and sing and perform. And while that wasn't happening for him during this time on Broadway, the concerts, they were a way for him to fill that void. Oh, Oh, and Grease Live was discussed in this interview. But by this time, Aaron, he's created his own social media accounts, so he was aware of that little Twitter account that was created and dedicated to those short, white Danny Zuko shorts. And here was Aaron's reaction to that. All kinds of crazy things happened. Like, yeah. Like, for example, the Twitter account, Aaron Tveit's Aaron Shorts. Aaron Tveit's Shorts. Aaron yeah, Tveit's shout out to Aaron Tveit's Shorts. I don't know who it is. No, it's just a person. I think it's just think it's hilarious. <laughs> That's the other thing that I've I have learned about social media is that I just I really try to. I mean, honestly, I I I, I still keep it close, and I'm yeah. very you know 
cautious of it, but uh, it's just fun. You know, yeah, you exactly. Can, you can have a lot of fun with it. And right. That, like something like that. Like somebody made an account from my ridiculous shorts. <laughs> and the funniest thing was is I knew that that was going to happen. I knew that, not, not the shorts, but I knew like, I knew that these shorts were coming. <laughs> right? I knew that right, it was And it was, a, it was an homage to John Travolta's oh, yeah. the whole scene and, in the movie. But the other guys in the scenes were all wearing the basketball <laughs> shorts too. But even on <laughs> even in rehearsal when we all came out in our costumes, everyone was laughing at me. I'm like, there's eight other guys in the same shorts. Why are you laughing at me? I mean, I do have like enormous legs. But anyway, um, <laughs> it was very fun. Next thing you know, Aaron and Paul, they're reuniting on March 11th, 2021 for an Instagram live interview. And this was when most of the world and Broadway were still shut down. And this interview, it started off in the most Aaron way possible. He was unable to join the live for the longest time and then realized that he needed to update his Instagram app. So after waiting those few minutes, the two finally reunited for another epic interview. And Paul makes it clear in every interview how obsessed he is with Catch Me If You Can. And Aaron shared that one day he hopes the show will get a revival. He really believes that timing had everything to do with the short run of the show and believes that as more time goes by, people are going to start to appreciate it more and realize what a brilliant show it actually was. And by the time this interview happened, our national treasure was a Tony nominee. And Paul asked Aaron where he was when those announcements came out. And Aaron was in Vancouver filming Schmigadoon. He said he was off work that day and just shared that the outpouring of messages and support when the news got out of his nomination meant everything to him. He also talked about what he imagined the first night back would be like when Broadway reopened, and he said it would just be electric. And I mean, from I wasn't there on the original first opening night after pandemic, but I mean, from what I've seen, he was absolutely right. However, my favorite question that Paul asked him in this interview was how did Aaron go about developing Christian's strong sense of presence on stage? And here was Aaron's response. Yeah. Um, what was it like sort of finding Christian? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because like you said, you know, he's, I'm kind of, I've kind of landed in Narnia, right? I'm Dorothy in Oz. I'm, I'm yeah. Alice in Wonderland. And I, because of that, Christian is a little bit the audience. I, I've always thought of him and Alex and John and I talked about this at length that a, a bit, I'm also the audience's eyes into this world, right? And so there's, right. there's two things happening. I, you know, besides finding Christian and finding what he means to me and how he works, it, it's like really about how, how he operates in this place because, you know, he meets these fantastic people and characters and they're all larger than life. And he doesn't know he's larger than life yet. So I think, you know, I, right. I really thought about that a lot, about being kind of the audience's eyes into this world a little bit, especially because, as I said, the audience is such a part of our show. So, um, yeah, and it was, it was a, it's a process over time. And luckily we had a whole lab experience and then some time away and then the whole Boston experience and then some time away. And I've gotten to do that a couple of times. Next to Normal was similar to that where we did right. a big reading and then had time and then had a whole re rehearsal process for Off-Broadway time rehearsal process for dc time and then broadway so i i think i like i really enjoy doing that because you get to learn so much from a rehearsal process but even more from a run 
and then you get to go away from it and kind of it like settles and processes and all these things. And then you get to kind of go back, but start with all this other knowledge and keep working and keep digging. So, so yes, I, I've just been, you know, fascinated by him and I've said it, you know, a few times in interviews, I just think it's so interesting being a, what it means to be from the middle of this country in 1899, which is all kind of industrial revolution, railroad, steel, oil, manifest destiny, and then finding yourself dropped into Bohemian Paris, right. which is, you know, in this time in the, the height of artistic expression, all these things. So I think like all from a historical standpoint, because I'm a historical nerd, that it's, uh, that was always of so much interest to me because, um, you know, what, what is this guy who somehow has this bleeding heart, but has no reason to even know that he has it and then meets Toulouse-Lautrec on the street. It's like, how does that happen? So, right. you know, that was always really, really interesting, um, interesting to me about it as well. And finally, jumping ahead two, two more years to this past week, February 23rd, 2023, when Paul and Aaron's next interview finally dropped. These two reunited for a little rainy day stroll around the Broadway theater district. And I absolutely loved the format of this interview, not just the sit down right across from each other, but actually like taking a physical walk and experiencing everything that they were going to talk about. And that had to be so special for Aaron to revisit memories from his Broadway past while standing in front of the theaters where he actually performed the shows in. And also, remember how I said earlier that I think Paul was the one who secretly started the whole Tevater Tot train? That was first brought up in 2014. It's now 2023, and Paul is still discussing it. And Aaron, he was able to share so many memories and stories about his walk down memory lane, but one of my favorite stories that he's told was about his the night he made his Broadway debut in Hairspray. A very, very funny story about my opening night. Because, you know, I grew up just about an hour, yeah. hour or so upstate. Yeah. So my high school course teacher organized a bus of people to come to my opening night. And like 70 or 75 people from my hometown wow. came to my opening night. <laughs> and so I got all this entrance applause. And everyone on, in the cast on stage, you know, they had no idea. They were like, who is this guy getting all this entrance applause? So I had a very, I, I stacked the deck for myself in the crowd that night. I Aaron also mentioned again how he'd love to see Catch Me If You Can get revived one day while standing in front of the Neil Simon Theater. Then he and Paul strolled over to the Gershwin Theater where Wicked is still running strong. And back in 2008, Aaron took on the role of Fierro and he was welcomed into the Brotherhood of the White Pants. Paul said that 30 years from now, they're going to look back and realize how many Broadway stars were in Wicked at one time or another. What do you think about a 60-year-old Aaron playing the wizard one day? I'm completely on board. Then they moved on to Next to Normal, and what a powerful show that was to be in. And Aaron talked about the physicality of the show and how he spent most of it looking down on the booth theater and the stage from the third floor of the house or the set, or he was running up and down to the different floors. At his ACT Connecticut concert back in January, someone had asked Aaron how to prepare for such a physical show like that, and Aaron answered very honestly and said, quote, B25. <laughs> he, 
He says that at the time in Next to Normal, he was so young and said yes to everything that the directors asked him to do. The final stop on this walk down memory lane was the very special Al Hirschfeld Theater, standing in front of the theater with the pillar that has Aaron's giant picture as Christian the composer. Aaron shared some final reflection points. So what's it like to, to think about your career you built? I mean, you know, it's hard to sort of have those moments where you sort of take check yeah. of yourself. Yeah, because, you know, you know, it's not something I do often. I don't think any, you yeah. don't, people don't naturally do that. So this kind of walk yeah. through my, <laughs> my Broadway history, it's very special. And I remember when I started studying theater and kind of falling in love with theater, all I wanted was a career in it and just be able to be in shows and 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 play on stage and here I am approaching 20 years from when I left school to do Rent and wow. I somehow have kept it all going and I'm so grateful for it. I hope that once Aaron departs from Moulin Rouge that there is another Broadway show on the horizon for him soon. This way we can give all our money away to see him again on stage and he and Paul can reconnect for yet another memorable interview. Thank you for going down this little walk down Paul and Aaron memory lane today and for continuing to support this podcast. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe wherever you listen so you get notified of new episodes. Also, follow me on Instagram at Tevating underscore patiently and on TikTok at Tevating patiently for more fun Aaron content. Hope to have you back here for episode 36. I will love you. Until